raised from the dead, that his preaching was useless, and all of our faith was in vain. And how the resurrection of Jesus is the central pillar to the Christian faith. It's the central pillar for all of our faith. That the resurrection of Jesus is, remains, a seed of promise for your own resurrection. That one of the most significant miracles that came out of Easter was that, or is that, that the same victory over death that Jesus experienced in raising from the, in being resurrected from the dead, that you and I can experience through our faith in Him, by believing in Him, by walking with Him, by surrendering our lives, our own will, our own desires, our own lordship over our lives, surrendering it to Him. Um, there's the you know the famous line in the song, "Because He lives, right? Because Jesus lives, you also can live." So Easter is obviously the the pinnacle of all all Christian faith, right? It's the pinnacle of everything that we believe and everything that we do. And that was last Sunday. You know, the, the, the Christian church has all of these like names or titles for different Sundays. You know, we have like Pentecost and um, Advent and and we have Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter Sunday and um, Second Sunday after Easter, which is this is this day is technically called in like the liturgical Christian calendar, but this Sunday actually has another name as well, and the name of this Sunday on the like the liturgical calendar or the church calendar is actually Doubting Thomas Sunday. It goes from like what is like the pinnacle of all Christian faith to the name uh, like Doubting Thomas Sunday. Like what a transition, like what a whiplash of experience there. The greatest moment in all of human history and Christian faith all the way up to like, okay, now we're going to talk about the guy that doubted that Jesus resurrected from the grave. So I want to read um, from John chapter 20 this morning, just to get a, just to get a picture again of um, where we are in this story. Um, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 28 this morning. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed 
on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Uh, let's, uh, let's spend a, just a second in prayer um, about this scripture and about what the Lord has for us this morning. Father, uh, we see this picture in Scripture of this man who followed Jesus uh, as closely as he could be followed and was struggling with his belief, was struggling with his faith. And Father, thank you for showing us in Jesus' response to Thomas that Thomas's doubt was safe with Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, in, speak into our own doubts, speak into the places where we are having a difficulty believing. Lord, help us to move from a place of doubt and fear to a place of belief and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so why the whiplash of change between Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, and now Doubting Thomas Sunday? Like, like pinnacle of faith, man, horrible example, right? Or so we think, horrible um, example. How can we go uh, so quickly from one extreme to the other. I think we may often forget, especially those of us who have been raised in the faith or who have been going to church for a really long time or who through a, you know, a number of circumstances um, have just like dealt with a lot of our spiritual questions early on in our faith. I think that we we forget that doubt is actually a really natural response when it comes to faith, things of faith, when it comes to life in general, how, how automatic doubt is. It doesn't, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to come to a place of questioning, to, come, to have like a lot of confusion about what God is doing to have a lot of like questions about 
what is happening and I don't understand this and I, man, I can't see it. So it's hard for me to believe it. You know, we've been, we've been trained or conditioned really even to, to trust our eyes, to trust our ears, to, to trust our senses in, in experiencing and taking in um, information. We could even say that doubt is the default of our belief. That doubt is the default of our lives. That we, we always go to a place of doubt first and then we are moved or discipled or walked out of or transitioned out of our doubt into a place of faith. That, I think we could make a really good case that culturally and personally, individually, your experience, my experience is that doubt is natural. It comes quickly, it comes easily, and that it takes work and time to move from a place of doubt to a place of faith. And I want to show you a little bit maybe um, what I mean when I say these things and to show you that I don't think that doubt is as odd or strange uh, for the believer as we may think that it is. Um, as we may have come to, or as, as we may have been told, right? Um, that, that doubt is actually a really natural part of our faith. That doubt is, an actu- is, is really um, not something that God is too concerned over, okay? Um, you know, I think that Thomas, uh, poor Thomas, he gets such a bad rap. Um, so much so that we have even, like, we, we've taken his name and his moniker and we've used it culturally to talk to, or like to describe, I'm, I'm just a doubting Thomas, you know, I, yeah, I don't believe it, or I have trouble understanding that, and we've used that, like, and poor Thomas is probably sitting up in heaven with Jesus right now, and being like, man, um, I got, like, I got a super bad rep down there on earth, but I don't think it's as, I think it's a little, um, I think it's a little unfair, because if you talk about, like, Doubting Thomas, you have to talk about like everyone else, right? And so we have Doubting Thomas over here. So does that mean everyone else is like the believing disciples? Thomas doubted. Everyone else believed, but Thomas doubted. Like that's the, that's the dichotomy that we're going to make is like, well, Thomas is the odd guy out. He's the unnatural one because he doubted and he was over here. Everyone else was full of faith and full of belief in what, that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. There was, they had no doubts whatsoever. And so Thomas is over here and he's the bad guy. That's kind of like typically how we're made to see the story. But if you read the story for what it is, like that's not how the scripture, um, that's not how the scripture communicates it at all. So where were all the non-doubters in this, in this instance, like post Jesus resurrection, where were they? Were they at the empty tomb celebrating that the tomb was empty, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus? No, they, they weren't. The scripture that we read this morning, in verse 19 of John chapter 20, says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Where were all of those who just automatically believed? They weren't anywhere. Right? It's not doubting Thomas. It's doubting everyone. Right? Thomas isn't the only one that doubted. Thomas was the one that we read about that doubted. Thomas was the one that articulated his doubt with his words. But if you look at the actions of everyone else, the scripture says that they were locked away for fear of the Jews. Now, what does that mean? Well, they had just seen, the disciples of Jesus had just seen their leader arrested by the Jewish leaders, put on trial, crucified by the Roman officials, died and put in a, in a tomb. Now, what would they think? Well, since we followed Jesus and he was crucified, executed as a political adversary of Caesar, like we talked about on Good Friday, since he was, uh, since he was killed and since the Jewish leaders were after him and we're, we were his followers, we're next. They got to be coming after us, right? But just imagine this. If his disciples, if Jesus' disciples really, truly, firmly believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead, that he was not in fact dead, but he was alive, that he did what he said he was going to do, why would they be living in fear? Why would they be hiding? It seems to me that a resurrected Jesus for them would equal a, I told you so, now who's right? Now who's wrong? They wouldn't be hiding away in fear. They would be celebrating. They would be jumping for joy. They would, th there wouldn't be any fear at all. But the Bible says they were afraid. So afraid that they, were, they had locked themselves away so that they could not be discovered. See, if you, when we read the rest of the, the Gospels as well, we see that this is not a foreign thing. That almost everyone with Jesus had a hard time believing. They were riddled with fear. They were riddled with doubt. They were riddled with questions. In fact, many times, if not most times, Jesus did miracles, performed his miracles in plain view of other people so that they would have opportunity to see and then believe. That, that Jesus used miracles as a way to inspire belief and faith in what God had called him to do. Now, why would he use that? Because he knew that for most people, seeing was believing. That they needed to see something and experience it before they just took it on themselves in belief, in faith. Here's a couple examples for you. Um, same gospel as we're in um, this morning, but we're going to go to the fourth chapter, um, John chapter 4, verse 48. Jesus says this, 
This was when Jesus was um, about to heal the... Um, well, I guess I'll start at verse 46. Uh, Once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick in Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Jesus' response in the midst of all this? Verse 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus replied, You may go. Your son will live. Jesus says, Unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you people will will never believe. Eight chapters forward in John chapter 12, verse 37, Jesus says something similar, or I guess John says, um, comments this about Jesus' miracles. He said, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe him Doubt was not a foreign concept to Jesus. So what I mean when I say that like doubt is often the natural or something that is the default is that believing without seeing is not the norm. And Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that a person was not likely to believe without seeing. He knew this. He said it several times. You people are not going to believe unless you see. So he did miracles in order to inspire faith in him, to bolster belief. It's like a, a, shot, of, a shot of steroids for your belief a miracle was. The fact that Jesus knew that people would have a difficult time believing without seeing is incredibly freeing. And we're going to get to that part here. Because um, why, I mean, I guess maybe the real question is why does any of this matter? Like, why, why are we even talking about it? Why would we say, why would we care Um, about faith and doubt or whatever. Well, you guys know that I like to have really honest conversations. And um, one of the things that I really appreciate um, about being a pastor and about being in ministry is that um, I feel a sense of like calling to maybe dissect a little bit more carefully a lot of the things that we have been taught to believe have thought for our whole lives have been have been told this is 
what you have to do and this is what you have to believe and this is how you have to believe it in order to be a Christian. And so many of those things have been so incredibly damaging to people's faith and have actually put more obstacles in people's belief than they have erased people's doubts. You see, here's something that we've generally been taught is that faith is automatic. That, that faith is just a matter of casting aside all of your doubts, ignoring um, the doubt that we have, and that, and that faith is just something simple. Oh, you just believe. That's all you do. You just have faith. You just set aside all of those things. And we say things like, well, um, you know, yeah, maybe God wants to do this, but I just don't have enough faith. Maybe I just don't have enough faith for this. Maybe I just don't believe enough. As if there was some, like, gauge of or level of belief that we needed to experience to hit certain spiritual milestones or something like that. So that's what we've been taught. But I think what Scripture shows, at least in part here, is that even, <laughs> even the people who were literally with Jesus when he, did, when he raised people from the dead who were literally with Jesus when he took five loaves and two fish and fed thousands of people, were literally with Jesus when he turned water into wine, were literally with Jesus when he healed people from leprosy or cast out demons that had tormented and tortured them, who were literally with Jesus when he first appeared in his resurrected body. What scripture shows is that those people who were front and center to the most miraculous experiences that ever occurred on earth still had trouble believing. They still were riddled with doubt. They still were hiding with fear. Locked away, not knowing what to do, still needing convincing. And now what you're going to say is like, well, wait, wait, wait. As soon as Jesus appeared to them, they believed. And Thomas was the one who doubted because he wasn't there. Let's read again our passage from this morning. So after Jesus appears the first time to his disciples, verses 19 through 23, and it says that Thomas wasn't there, right? Now go down to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Okay, so he was not there at the first appearing, right? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my fingers where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Verse 26, this is interesting. A week later, where were his disciples at? <laughs> were his disciples out on the street proclaiming, the Lord has been resurrected. He has risen. We were right. Just wait. He's going to be here any moment. We know it to be true. Believe. Repent and believe. 
Jesus has been raised from the dead. Where is the body? The tomb is empty. Proclaiming his name. Where were they? A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. <laughs> Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same sentiment as before, right? Uh, in the same house, doors were locked. No indication of inspiring faith, belief, like, oh, Jesus has been resurrected and we have, we have seen them. They were still afraid. They were still locked away. They still didn't know what to do. They still, they couldn't convince Thomas. They couldn't convince anyone. They themselves still needed convincing that what they had saw, what they had experienced, that the resurrected Jesus was truly, truly alive. This is not the picture that we have been told to just like accept as the norm. Oh, just believe. The disciples believed, right? Just, you just got to believe. You just got to cast, cast away all doubts. Real Christians, those who have real strong faith, those who are super close to Jesus, they just believe. And while maybe that's true, we do have to ask the question about like, well, those who are closest to Jesus, those who saw everything, literally saw everything, were still consumed with doubt. Consumed with fear. Consumed with questions about their own faith. Jesus shows back up in verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus shows back up on the scene and um, he addresses Thomas's unbelief. I don't know how you react <laughs> when someone doesn't believe you. Um, but I, I mean, personally, when someone like doesn't believe in me, like believe in me, like that I'm capable or that I can do it or they have confidence in me or they express doubt at something that I say, um, you know, or I can't convince them of something, whatever that, that would be, I don't react generally in a real positive way. Like if people have a lot of skepticism towards me or doubt or they lack belief or faith. Man, my flesh, my pride, it rises up within me and it takes me to a really bad place if I don't surrender that to the Lord right away. If I don't, if I don't um, give that offense over to Him, I can, I can stand and be, I can be really standoffish, I can be really dismissive of that person. I'm certainly hurt inwardly that, you know, that 
I think that they would have every reason to believe in me or every reason to have faith or confidence in me, but they don't. And so it hurts, but I'm also angry and I don't want to listen to anything they say anymore. Basically, I don't react well when someone expresses doubt in me, disbelief, lack of confidence. Well, Jesus, he comes into the room here of of, of generally disbelieving, fearful. It's funny that we call them believers, right? And um, and what does he do? You see, I can imagine a scenario where I would want to be really standoffish, really finger wagging, really I told you so, really uh, what do you what do you think now? Look at me now, type of thing. Thank goodness, Jesus is nothing like Cameron. <laughs> right? Thank goodness that, that the way of Jesus is so different than the way of my flesh. Because instead of scolding Thomas for his doubt, instead of scolding Thomas for his lack of faith, instead of scolding Thomas for his fear or his unbelief, he gently simply, without any other explanation or commentary, offers Thomas what Thomas personally needed in order to come to a place of belief. The thing that Thomas said, he said, well, unless I, um, unless I put my finger where the nail marks in his hands were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And so when Jesus comes back on the scene, he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas, Jesus offered Thomas what Thomas needed to move from a, bla from a place of doubt and fear to a place of faith and recognition for who Jesus was. Maybe you have had in your life uh, an experience or two or many experiences where your faith has really been like inspired or really grown a whole lot. Maybe it was a whole season of your life where your faith has really grown. Or maybe it was a singular experience, like you served and like God really met you when you were serving or in worship or a particular like time you were in God's word or some something that you can put your finger on being like, man, I was in my car and I was praying and I was just overwhelmed with the presence of God and the love of the Holy Spirit on me and like, it was undeniable that that was a moment of faith growing, me believing, doubt being erased. But maybe now, where you've had those 
but we'll call Easter type moments. Maybe now you're having a doubting Thomas type moment where you, you've had the moments where like, oh my gosh, this is like a foundational pinnacle aspect of my faith. This is like, this is everything. Never going to forget this moment. Never going to move from this spot. Always going to remember what God did, what I felt, who I was in that moment. But maybe now you're in this place of like a doubting Thomas moment where you're, you're living in a place of fear. You're living in a place of doubt. You're living in a place of uncertainty. I think a lot of us are in that place right now. I think a lot of us are in that place of doubt, are in that place of uncertainty, are in that place of fear. We have, we had and have had in our lives Easter Sunday mornings or moments but now we just feel like we're stuck in a doubting Thomas moment. A place of uncertainty and fear and doubt. And what I've learned, especially about, what I've learned about Christians, I've been one for a long time, <laughs> and I have been a pastor for a long time now. There is an incredible amount of guilt that Christians carry with them when they go through seasons of doubt. When they go through seasons of having doubting Thomas moments. When everything is not an Easter Sunday morning, but when they have real situations or experiences where they're having trouble believing, they're having trouble understanding, they're in a place of fear or confusion or uncertainty about what's next. That unless the truth of Jesus is spoken into their doubt, those doubts can really become mentally, emotionally, spiritually debilitating. Those doubts can be a place where shame and guilt grows. Those doubts can be a place where they feel like they have to separate themselves from other believers, you know, those who just automatically believe no matter what and who are super strong in their faith, but because they're doubting, they probably should, should go away. And the reality is, like we saw in the, in the uh, scripture this morning, there really weren't any believers and non-believers. They were all non-believing. They were all fearful. They all had doubts. Certainly, they all had their own levels of doubts. Certainly, they had their own level of faith and fear and uncertainty based on who they were and what their experiences were and their own personalities or perception but make no mistake about it there was no really good christians and then the ones over here who didn't who had all the doubts 
Like people over here who never questioned anything and just always believed. And then the people over here who are really just struggling to make sense of all that was going on in their world. And Christians have done a great job in making dichotomies over that. Like there's those who believe and those who don't believe. And really good Christians, they just believe. Oh, church, I want to tell you flat out, um, that's not the way of Jesus. Nor is it the witness of Scripture. That, that doubt or unbelief is, um, is something that should induce shame or guilt in you. Thomas had doubts. He had uncertainties. He had fears. He felt like he needed to see and hear from Jesus in order for those things to be wiped away. And what did Jesus do? Jesus was not dismissive of him. Jesus was not disappointed in him. Jesus was not angry with him. Just like when you go through a period of doubt and fear and uncertainty, when you have spiritual questions that you feel are really big and that you're not getting answers for, God is not disappointed with you. God is not angry with you. Because you have doubts and fears and disbelief and uncertainty, that doesn't mean that you need to run away from all the other believers, right? That you need to that you have to separate yourself from all the people that, that believe so much more strongly than you do. We're all in the same boat. We all have fear and uncertainty and doubt. We all have seasons and periods and days and weeks and months and years where we're just struggling to grab on to the promises of God that that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is victorious in our lives, that Jesus is victorious over sin, that Jesus is victorious over death. And every day we ask, Lord, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. Here's the awesome thing about Thomas's experience is that Jesus could have very easily just dismissed him. He very easily could have only revealed himself to the people who had already believed that he was resurrected. Well, I'm just going to I'm just going to go and spend my time with all those good people, good Christians who already believe that I've been resurrected from the dead. But where does Jesus go? Jesus goes straight to the one who's been labeled as the doubting Thomas. Jesus is not dismissive of his doubts at all. Jesus comes right to him. And even in the midst of your doubts, even in the midst of your fear, even in the midst of the uncertainty that you have, I need you to know. You need to know. The scripture declares the Holy Spirit shoots this truth into your heart. God wants you to know that even in your disbelief, Jesus still wants to be with you. 
Jesus is not angry with you. He is not wanting to be harsh or dismissive. Jesus is patient. Jesus is gentle. He is compassionate. And He is kind. Especially when we want to believe but are struggling to do so. You know who Jesus has the harshest words for in the Gospels? He has the harshest words for the uber, super religious people who are putting on a show pretending like they have it all figured out and making other people feel guilty and shameful for not having it all figured out. Those are the people that Jesus has the harshest words for. Jesus has unlimited gentleness, compassion, understanding for those who are seeking in every way that they can just to believe a little bit more, just to grasp on a little bit more, just to see him do a miracle in their life one more time. If the story of doubting Thomas teaches us anything this morning, what I want it to teach us is this. If you're struggling right now to believe, and you can put the belief label on any aspect of your faith. Right? If you're struggling to believe in Jesus, period. If you're struggling to believe in God, period. Or maybe you're struggling to believe that there's going to be good that comes out of this situation. Or maybe you're having a hard time believing that your loved one is ever going to come to know Jesus or that you're ever going to be healed or that you're ever going to get out of this financial debt or that you're ever going to this or you're ever going to that. Maybe you are just in a vicious cycle of doubt and unbelief. Confess that to Jesus. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to tell Jesus exactly how you're feeling, exactly how you're thinking, because Jesus rushes to the place where faith wants to grow. When you, when you want to believe, when you want to understand, when you want to come to a place where your doubt is erased and you're confident in the things and purposes and plans of God, Man, that is like a vacuum for God's presence. He rushes into places where people want to express deep, significant levels of faith in Him. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to say, Jesus, I'm struggling here. I'm having a hard time believing all I feel is doubt and uncertainty and fear. Please come to me. 
show me the marks in your hands, show me the, the wound in your side, reaffirm and assure me, Jesus, that you are victorious, that you are with me, that you have not left me in this place of doubt, but that you will rush to me in my time of pain and fear. You need to hear that message. You are not alone. You are certainly not alone in the body of believers or the body of non-believers, whatever we should call it, right? But you're also not alone because God has not dismissed you even in your doubt. God has not walked away from you even in your fear. He's right with you. He is right with you. My hope and prayer for you this week, Conduit, and any and all who are watching near or far, whether you have ever walked through the doors of this building before or whether your first exposure to Conduit has been here online, is that you would know that um, there is a community of believers here. Not people who never doubt But when I say a community of believers, what I mean is a community of people who are just believing that Jesus has resurrected from the dead, that God is good, that our sins are forgiven, and that he will show himself to us. I hope that you choose to be a part of this community here because I think this community here is an awesome place where, where shame can be put to bed, where guilt can be erased, where your faith is embraced, but also so are your doubts. Knowing that Jesus is perfectly and fully capable and sufficient to hold and deal with every doubt that you have. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dismiss for the morning. Heavenly Father, you have shown us in your word this morning that while we may believe or have been taught that every good Christian or every true disciple just believes what Jesus says and what Jesus did and what happened, that the reality of it is that even those who were closest to him struggled intensely to believe, struggled to be free of doubt, struggled to be free of uncertainty. Lord, we see ourselves on the pages of Scripture this morning as ones who are so desperately wanting to believe with a faith that does not need to see. But being honest with you when we say, Lord, we want to see a victory. We want to see you work mightily. Lord, inspire our faith. Lord, would you rush into the areas of our lives where we are 
doubting and in fear and in uncertainty, but where we so desperately want to believe. Lord, and would you plant the seed of faith? And would you grow that seed, Lord? May it produce fruit, the fruit of faith that we may share with others. Lord, would you bless us this week with an increase of faith. Lord, that we can walk in the confidence that you do not dismiss our fear, you do not dismiss our doubt, but you embrace all of who we are, full of fear, full of faith, full of doubt, full of belief. Thank you for loving us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.